Just words. Just words. Finding the line between free speech and protecting the vulnerable. You can't say or do anything anymore, otherwise you'll be dragged off to the law courts. Why is this the pressing issue of our time? Welcome to another special edition of Just Words. Now, this week we're dropping three podcast extras where we talk to key authorities on 18C. In our last extra, we spoke to legal expert Professor Luke McNamara. He dropped rather a big bombshell that the 18C reforms that propose to make changes to the 18C complaints processes within the Australian Human Rights Commission will in fact apply to all age, sex, disability and race complaints involving the Commission not just 18C. Now we're going to hear from a familiar voice to those who are keen listeners of Just Words. You heard him all the way back in the beginning of the series in our first ever episode, History and Denial. This is someone who is an expert in 18C and has been part of some of the most high-profile 18C cases impacting the Jewish community in Australia. It's Jeremy Jones. Jeremy is Director at the Australia, Israel and Jewish Affairs Council. He's concerned that the proposed reforms to 18C could be opening the floodgates to stuff that we would not want to hear. Right now, it's unclear if the draft laws would always capture the concept of Holocaust denial. We do know that the government's changes would get rid of offend, insult and humiliate, which the coalition says amounts to hurt feelings. The plan is to keep intimidate, but define it more narrowly. So it's only something that causes fear of physical harm, with no mention at all of psychological harm. It also introduces a provision against vilification defined as inciting hatred. This means that the emphasis switches from the impact racial hatred has on its victims to whether it causes fear or incites racial hatred in others. So even if you do intimidate or vilify someone on the basis of race, there's a broad exemption for anything, and I'll quote, communicated in the course of participating in the public discussion of any political, social, cultural, religious, artistic, academic or scientific matter. And the requirements to be reasonable and in good faith? Well, they've been struck out. So are these proposed changes to 18C really a strengthening of our race-hate laws? Just Words producer Anthony Dockrell spoke to Jeremy Jones to get his thoughts. What was your, your response when you heard that the government had decided to remove offend, insult and humiliate and replace it with harass? There didn't seem to be any logic to it. When you look at, when you look at the whole situation, the government had an all-parliamentary inquiry or a, a joint parliamentary inquiry you had me- representatives of the major parties, you had the Labour Party, the uh, Coalition, the Greens. They had an inquiry, they took hearing, they took evidence, and there was no recommendation to change the law. So the fact is they had the inquiry, they had the recommendation, you'd think there is nothing to be gained in terms of improving the law by changing it in any way. So you think, why would they change it if they're not going to improve the law? Why would they go through the process and then not, not listen to what those in positions of, you could even argue, newfound expertise said. The only reason can be for a perceived short-term political gain. I don't believe that anyone seriously thinks this is a better law. I've heard all the protestations and the announcements, but there seem to be two groups in this debate. There are those who think it's good to have protections for victims of racist incitement, vilification, hatred... It's good to have those protections, and there are people who say there is some higher value. The best way to deal with this is to have complete open debate, and those of goodwill will say the good people will win the debate. This is a compromise which does nothing except weaken the existing legislation but still leaves legislation. 
What do you say to the people who say that it's not about racism, it's about free speech? If you have a society where there's a section who are denied decent uh, quality of life, whose human rights are impacted by the speech of others, those people are denied the right to participate. They're denied their right to free speech. So you are going to have people who say free speech for some but not for others does not seem to me to be a reasonable way to conduct a debate. And again, you look at what's happened over more than 20 years of history. There's not a single subject that people have been prevented from debating or talking about. There is not a single matter where somebody can say, we, pre- we were prevented from having a sensible, serious, intellectual debate on any subject whatsoever, or we were prevented from giving opinions unless and until they crossed the line from giving opinions to really lying about other human beings in a way which was hurtful and took away for the rights of those other Australians. If this change gets through the Senate, uh, what does this mean for the precedents that you've set with Jones v Tobin and Jones v Scully? Well, if you look at the tr- precedents, and unfortunately or fortunately, there are even more than the cases you mentioned, the cases I've been in- involved in, we can look at them each individually. It's, I think it's worthwhile. When the first case I took up was the El Telegraph matter, where an Arabic-language newspaper was going using overseas news sources, and they were just cutting and pasting, probably unconscious of the amount of racism that was in some of those articles. We complained using 18C, and the newspaper said, well, how do we now then deal with it? And we arrived at a position, a common-sense position. Nobody was saying the newspaper was harassing anybody. What they were doing was involved in behaviour which was offending, insulting, humiliating. But a new form of words might say, well, uh, why can't you publish anything you like in a newspaper which is not directed at the particular individual? Why can you not carry out an individual act? You look at the situation of the Tobin case, nobody has tested whether or not a website uh, constitutes harassment. One of the issues that came with the Adelaide Institute website, though, is the material was not password protected. It was out there. It was being broadcast. So no one could say this is a private discussion amongst individuals. You, you didn't have to go looking for it. You found it via search engines when you were looking for other material. So it would be very interesting to see how a new law might operate. With the Scully case, again, we had to litigate using the law that existed. And the, the mere fact that this one case resulted in a huge decrease in anti-Jewish reports of anti-Jewish activity in Tasmania tended to indicate that there was something constructive about using the law that way. Uh, the same thing with the One Nation case, where their newspaper uh, was sought, was in one instance trying to argue that there was protected political speech and anything was political speech if it was said by somebody in a political party's newspaper. Now, we went through the matters of the court to win a finding. There were other matters as well where findings were won using this particular law. You, you can't necessarily say that these would be used as precedents in any successive matter. Certainly, that is not what was... Our, we, we didn't litigate that way, and that's not how they were judged. So you would say you are, in effect, risking 20 years of case law. You can't say that with certainty, but you would, the only way you would know is if something very similar or identical was tried by someone... Then uh, lawyers came and argued precedent and were told that it no longer applied. Uh, You wouldn't want to second guess how these matters would be heard in court or how judges would go, but there's a very reasonable assumption that we would basically have to start the whole process again. 
I want to say for the second time, because the law has been changed before. In the original case, when I took Scully and Tobin originally, the matters were adjudicated by the Human Rights Commission. The law was changed to have them adjudicated by the federal court. So I had victories in the Scully and Tobin case, which we then had to take to the federal court. uh, But we were able to use the material that had been brought before the Human Rights Commission uh, in front of the um, judges in the federal court. Uh, Not their judgment, but the arguments at least, the information. So we didn't have to go through a lot of the hard work in compiling the cases we may have otherwise. But uh, I can tell you it's not a nice thing to have to re-litigate a case you've already won. Well, how does that make you feel? 2017, denying the Holocaust on a website or selling that kind of material in a community market, it needs to be retested in our courts again if these changes are passed. How does that make you feel? Well, there are a number of reasons to be disappointed and concerned. Uh, last, a few days before the statement was made, the statement was made on a Tuesday, on Harmony Day as it was, uh, on the two days earlier, there was a launch of an exhibition on the Holocaust at the Sydney Jewish Museum. The Prime Minister spoke, and the Prime Minister made it very clear that he understood that racism wasn't just about the uh, killing of human beings and the damage to property. It was also about the incitement, the hatred, the intolerance that came first. Uh, he understood. He understood the context. He spoke about the banality of bureaucrats involved in putting people to death on racial grounds. They didn't harass people, but they sentenced them to death on racial grounds. He understood this. He got it. Uh, There are many others you hear in the public debate. They clearly understand that there is a context before the physical violence. Uh, Rwanda, Cambodia, other awful genocides, they didn't happen on the day. They happened with a context and a build-up. And there is an understanding of this. We've got enough understanding of history our political leaders have enough understanding of history that they know full well that this is a backpedalling from defences of the those who most need those defences against racism. So we have that element. The second element, all around the world at the moment, people are talking about the contest of ideas between people who want to divide the world on racial grounds and those who want to unite humanity, those who see a common good purpose in various communities, and those who are trying to redefine their communities on ways that say, uh, it doesn't matter if your family's lived in this country for generations or hundreds of years, you can't ever be one of us, you're something different. Now, Australia was promoting itself as a model of multiculturalism on the same day, the 21st of March, the same day that this uh, was uh, introduced as a revised piece of legislation, as a change. Now, I would think most people in Australia regardless of where they stand on any issue, are looking for moral leadership, real moral leadership and real leadership on a variety of issues in a time of global uh, confusion and concern and dislocation. Moral leadership says we are going to stand firm against racism. It is immoral leadership to say we are going to weaken defences against racism. They opted for the immoral leadership on this particular occasion. Does it disappoint you when you say that Malcolm Turnbull gets it, he understands it, 48 hours later, he announces changes to 18C, which strike right at the heart of all the things you've just been talking about. It's always disappointing when you know that people are making compromises and the compromises they're making seem to put morality into the, into the back pocket. 
Uh, there are others I know in the there, there are others in the party room, and you have to be fair. There are people who have very strong principled stance. They really do believe the best way to deal with racism is by the maximum possibility of debate and free speech and whatever. There are those people. I think they're completely wrong. I don't think they've got a good understanding of history. I don't think they have any real deep knowledge of what's happening in Australia historically and what's happening now. Uh, but they exist. And there, was, and there are also people who really have a very low priority on victims of racism. And, and you have a mixture of different views in the party, and they've come to a compromise, which I think is uh, wrong morally, but I also don't see any common sense in it politically. I mean, where, where is the constituency of people in Australia who want lives to be worse for members of other Australians who just happen to be victimised and bullied by people who are racists and want to uh, feel somehow validated as a human being by invalidating the rights of somebody else. It, I don't see that constituency within Australia, particularly when it comes to people who come from backgrounds where they've experienced this. And it was very interesting to see the uh, reports from the party room, and I don't say they're all accurate by any means. You know, the media can get some things right and some things wrong. But if the reports are even mildly accurate, you could see a list of members of parliament who had gone out and asked the voters in their seats how they felt about this, who did not want this change because they saw it backpedalling on racism. Those people are not going to come back and say, oh, the Liberal Party's OK because the Senate blocked it. The Liberal Party has to carry this change with them. So I don't think they've made a sensible political decision as well. If these changes go through in both houses and become law, do you see 18C becoming a political issue at the next election for the Jewish community? I think what happens with any issue which comes up at this time during an election cycle is it is going to play into an understanding of the, the big picture about the credibility of a government and the uh, good judgment of a government and our leaders. I mean, I, I think there are many people who, who vote. They, they're not interested in ideology or even particular issues, but they do want people who say they know how to do the job of leading the country responsibly and properly. Now, given that the government went to the election saying it was not interested in changing this issue, given that there's nothing really in a public debate to indicate there's a, a push that the suddenly the people have risen up and demanded that the government change what it went into the election with with something different. You say this is an issue of credibility of the government and, and priorities of the government. Let's turn back to 18C, and I, I want to have a, a, just a brief discussion about the word harass. Uh, there's a couple of things that, that come out to me straight away when I, I think about harass and how it might apply to 18C. I mean, the first is that to me, harass is also uh, at least partly already in 18C and with the word intimidate. Um, but the other thing that, that I think is very interesting about harass is that it implies that someone has been singled out. To be harassed, there, there, there might even be a burden of proof that something is aimed at you in particular. So we were talking before about websites, what about blog posts, tweets, uh, there, there, there might be a burden of proof that someone has to show under 18C that they themselves were targeted by these material. Do you, are you worried about that, that harass could make 18C such that only the most extreme cases of hate speech actually become successful? Well, we have to understand that at the moment the courts have interpreted the existing formulation of words to only apply when there's something which is quite extreme, not something which is normal not that, or 
uh, seen as something which is an irritation or a bit insulting but not overwhelmingly offensive. I mean, the, the judgments, if we come back at the way the cases have been uh, looked at already, the courts have taken this seriously. So it's not as if we, we have some very low burden of proof, not as if I can make a throwaway comment about somebody and they would take a, a litigate against me in court and it would be put as something that the courts are going to say is a worthy use of their time. Uh, so already we're not talking about something simple. I remember the, in one particular case, the Olga Scully case, we had leaflets which demonstrated quite clearly, individually and together, that there was a person who had the belief that whatever social ill there was in society, that it could only be understood against a template of Jews trying to cause that problem in society. Now, there'll be issues which some people will say are not a problem. The anti-apartheid movement is not, in my mind, a social ill, but it was to this person. Um, rights for people, regardless of gender, sexuality, should not be an issue. But for this person, they were, and it was all a Jewish plot. Now, we had to go in court and argue about specific words in specific places in specific leaflets, when you could say, but the leaflet as a whole is part of this, uh, part of the problem. The same thing when it came down to an article in a, the One Nation newspaper called Nation in Queensland. The article said, Jews invented the internet so that we could then flood the world with pornography. And when everybody was corrupted by pornography and there was fight back, Jews could control that power by bringing in laws to stop free speech on the internet, whatever crazy. But we had to argue about specific words in specific places and how it applied to us. So already was not a simple matter of saying we were offended or insulted. It was a burden, like a strong burden on us to prove the problem in court. Secondly, there were already issues of standing. I couldn't go to a court and say, uh, Joe Bloggs down the ro road was uh, insulted and offended by somebody. I had to be part of that group. I had to be able to prove that I myself was affected by this. So that was already happening, not as an individual, but certainly as part of a group. And I think it's a real misunderstanding to think that the way the law existed meant that anybody could just complain about anything. So that's what we had. And now we're talking about an even stronger stronger. Uh, proof of harm being done or a different proof. Now, the simple matter is we don't know. We do not know how the court would define harass in this civil instance. We know in criminal law how harass is dealt with. And you would ask, why do we need to now be putting this in civil law if already in criminal law there's laws against harassment on all, all sorts of bases? But this is what the government's decided to do, which is why I think the real bottom line is the people who move this are not serious about trying to deal with the problem of racism. They know that this is something which is creating more problems than it's solving. So how worried are you, worried are you that if these changes go through that 18C becomes, in, in a sense, ineffective? Well, you have to understand harm has been done already. By the statement from the party room, there are many Australians who are understanding that we have in power a coalition government, at least in their power through the House of Representatives, which says we are willing to weaken protections for victims of racism. Forget details. That has come out very clearly, no matter what is what has been put in the political spin or justification. That is the message, and that, that, is, not, that is what we're hearing, and that is the optics. So that's happened already. If it gets to the situation where the changes to the words get through the Senate, 
then we would have to say that, yes, it's going to be even harder than it currently is for people to win cases under 18C. People may still try. And I have to tell you, to be, to be honest, uh, there have been many cases where the matters haven't gone to court, but I have been able to talk to someone and say, are you aware that what is going on in your workplace, for example, is potentially in breach of the law? And decent people say, we weren't aware of that. How can we, we fix the situation? It's not a threat. It's having a sensible conversation with people who want to do the right thing in our community. They're not scared of the law, but they want to do the right thing as decent law-abiding members of the community. Um, if, there are, if people become aware that there are no longer the same responsibilities in the workplace or wherever else, that is weakening the quality of, uh, harming the quality of life of people who are victims of racist bullies. When it comes to the, the general issue of agency, it is too difficult really to say at the moment, but it, it just becomes harder. But then again, let's look at the political reality. It goes to the Senate and a number of things can happen. The Senate can try and amend it, maybe go halfway back or whatever. They can reject the changes outright or they can accept them. I think rejecting outright at the moment is indicated to be the most likely result in the Senate, but the others are certainly possible. If it's rejected outright by the Senate, what have the, what's the government done? It's fought a Pyrrhic victory. It's fought a battle, had a Pyrrhic victory, which has won them no support of anyone in the community, but perhaps done something about the constellation of forces within the coalition government. If it is, if it goes through the Senate, then I think you will find Labour, Greens and others campaigning at the next election to restore it. So all we've done is uh, wasted time in that, in that situation, unless we have a long-term government which uh, is of this same political view on this subject, which is not impossible, but again, I don't think is a, so likely it's possible. And then if there's a compromise position, we would have to see what that compromise position is before we uh, commented commented further. Uh, but I, I do think we have to say that the biggest loser yesterday, number one loser, is going to be the credibility of the coalition government. The second biggest loser losers will be those people who are particularly in states and territories where there's no state and territory protection at all against this sort of language, or people will have to just use the less good laws to try and give them some recourse. Uh, that's where we're up to at the moment. You touched on something earlier too about this, so the, the signal that this sends out to the community. We saw when uh, Trump was elected, no changes in any of the laws, but we saw a whole lot of hate speech and uh, acts of violence uh, in response uh, from the message that Trump's victory sent through. Are you worried about these supposed changes, whether they get through or not, about the signal that it sends to the community, about anti-Semitic attacks increasing? Is this something that worries you? For more than 20 years, I did an annual detailed study of anti-Semitism in Australia, where I looked at every report of every incident, I looked at all the different sources, and one thing that could be said beyond anything else, it never seemed to have anything to do with the behaviour of Jews, it didn't have anything to do with Israel or Middle East politics, it didn't have anything to do with... Uh, any objective behavior by any human being, what it had to do with is when people f felt there might be consequences for their actions, when people felt they might be empowered by their actions. So what you would see 
is if there were if there were strong political leadership, even without law, but strong political leadership said, we condemn these acts, we're going to do something about it. Australia does not tolerate, even more importantly in a sense than laws, with the statements by political leaders, if person A bullies person B, we government are on the side of person B. We churches are on the side of person B. We trade unions are on the side of person B. The strong moral political leadership uh, social leadership that says we will find this behaviour unacceptable. So looking at the obverse, when people think they can get away with something, when there aren't going to be any consequences, they're more likely to act and push push back against the uh, harmony, the acceptance that Australia benefits when every Australian has a possibility to participate fully within our community and within our society. You're going to have those people who feel empowered. That was Jeremy Jones, director at the Australia, Israel and Jewish Affairs Council, speaking with Just Words producer Anthony Dockrell. I'm Nick Healy. Thanks for listening to Just Words. This is the second of our podcast extras we're releasing this week to keep you in the know on everything 18C. Now, next up, we're going to be hearing from Senator David Lionhelm on why he thinks changing the law is a very good idea. See you next time on Just Words. Just Words.